Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save... You can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 support your cardiovascular health. Visit radiobeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. We are kicking open those doors for another exciting news update as we've got Eric from ES Invest here to discuss the latest market moving news headlines. How are you doing today, Eric? Um, I'm doing great. Um, What's the big news today? What do we want to jump into first? Mm, It's not raining here in San Diego. It was raining here the last three days. So I think that's the talk of the town, isn't it? Isn't that good for you guys? I thought you guys were in a big old drought. I don't know. I feel like California is always whining about something. So, yeah, that's probably right. But we shouldn't be now. When we moved here to Illinois, they, uh, I, think, I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago. It like, rained three times in a week, and then the news was still calling it a drought. What in the hell is going on? It's a, it's a bad drought. <laughs> right? Real bad drought. <laughs> <laughs> I came from Arizona, so like, like, what, three times in a week? That's unheard of. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, especially coming from Arizona, you got to hear of a drought somewhere else and be like, fucking kidding me. I'm in, I'm in a desert. Yeah. I am the drought. There's a rain since, hasn't rained in six months. What are you talking about? <laughs> CPI tomorrow, man. Yes. And I am not even sure what to expect anymore. 
so it looks like the forecast is 7.9% and the previous CPI release for year over year. And the previous CPI release was 8.2. So mm-hmm. a slight pullback from that. But interestingly enough, uh, month over month is expected to be 0.6% and the previous was 0.4%. So an actual small uptick there. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's not going to be good. Yeah. So the month over month, well, it, again, it's one of those things that it if it comes in at 0.6, I actually don't think that's going to break anything mm. because a lot of that, in my opinion, has been priced in for some time now. But I do think just like we saw with the Fed meeting last week, I think the main thing is any deviation, which... I shouldn't have referenced the Fed meeting last week because there literally was no deviation and the market still lost its shit just like a temperamental child. But right. yeah, other than than that scenario, I, I think um, for the announcement tomorrow, it's really any sort of deviation I think will be the the talk of the town. I don't have the actual like full speeches here, just the headlines. I was just kind of looking through to see what the Fed members were saying this week or today, actually. Evans, uh, I was kind of surprised to see him jump on saying it's time to slow the pace of the rate hikes. Twice, actually. And then who was, who was the other one? Oh, Barkin, Fed Barkin. Yeah. He said that his personal hypothesis is that we're on the back end of inflation and that it's coming down. Yeah. And I think... Um... It's they've been messaging like this for a little while. And I actually think that's part of the reason why the market today was just like, yeah, fam, whatever, aka didn't listen at all, at least in terms of mostly what we're seeing on price action, because they right. this is exactly what the market did last time, right? Leading into the last Fed announcement, everybody in the market was super optimistic that we were coming up on a pivot or a slowdown or whatever you want to call it, some variation that didn't include these just continued rate raises. And then, you know, as soon as Big Daddy j got that, which is funny because that one reporter reiterated, <laughs> you know, like, hey, the market's doing okay. What do you think about that? And that's when he went into like his double hawkish statement. And right. my favorite my favorite part about that hawkish statement, though, is that it's the same. It's literally the same thing. This dude has been saying since he decided to start fighting inflation this way, which mm-hmm. I find just so wild because the market reacted so negatively to him literally just reiterating and not changing anything. And the market was like, no, we, we didn't like that. So funny. Yeah, the market seemed to think that that the the uh, there would be some indications of slowing down, I think, at that point. And that, that never materialized. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that the market definitely started pricing that in prematurely, re- realistically. And this is yeah. exactly why I trade options is because all of these are tradable events because the efficient market hypothesis, it is, it doesn't exist in strong form or even semi-strong form. There are plenty of instances where things are not priced appropriately. And mm-hmm. it's because we can never fully remove the human psyche, which is exactly what we saw last week. Because again, just as you pointed out, literally nothing has changed. Nothing mm-hmm. has changed. But the market at the tail end of that release lost its mind. And the other funny thing, not to spend too much time on that, but I do find it fascinating is he made a small concession saying like, we may slow the rate of increases in favor of a higher overall target rate, right? So kind of Mm -hmm. just playing with some variables there. And he even offered like a small concession like that. And obviously the market still didn't go for it. Very, Very, very fascinating stuff. Let me ask you a quick question because it's something that I think I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. So inflation is still rising. It's expected Mm -hmm. to rise 7.9% on the reading that comes out tomorrow, right? 
year over year. Yep. So that is that okay. So that's year over year. So is that coming down then, since it was eight point two before and nine point one in June? Does that mean inflation is dropping, or does that mean it's still increasing but at a slower rate? The the latter, and it it'll depend on what time frames we want to assess against, because it is important to compare. Just like when you compare companies, it is important to compare apples to apples. So very rarely would we look at inflation, you know, the last year over year inflation report, and compare it to this if it wasn't essentially in the same month. Okay. And the reason for that is exactly this, because sometimes inflation will go through a natural cycle anyways, and you can't always compare season to season, so to speak. Or mm. again, just like if you're comparing two companies, you you need to like look within the same sector or whatever the case is. Similar story here. But I think what we're seeing right now, at least, indicates that inflation, you, you could argue it's stagnating, but still at an extremely elevated level and just kind of going through a normal cycle where we'll see some ebb and flow in the inflation figure, but the baseline obviously is very elevated. So then how is peak inflation defined then? Is that when it stops going up or is that when it stops going up at the highest rate of increases? I think like you'll see some of this other conversation around um, like terminology. Realistically, inflation, when it peaks, it's supposed to be the highest rate over that given period of time, right? So mm-hmm. that same nuance I was sharing with you on like the year over year comparisons still being seasonal to some degree, peak inflation doesn't care about that. Peak inflation is going to say what was the highest point over that period of time regardless. So then peak inflation by that so peak inflation by that definition should have been in June then when it was 9.1%, is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Bingo. All right, that's enough of that, I think. Why don't we talk about some meta cuz I I think we all delight in Mark Zuckerberg having having problems. I don't know because he probably doesn't care. I'm pretty sure he's a fucking robot. So <laughs> a samurai wielding robot. Yeah, I'm I'm almost positive he's a robot. Any podcast or interview I've watched with him, I was like, I typically don't think of myself as a very emotionally sophisticated human being, but then I see people like him and I'm like, okay, like I'm actually very emotionally sophisticated because this guy's a fucking robot. Well, is anybody who becomes that rich, that early, well adjusted? Yeah, couldn't think of one in that pause, so good. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, the the news article that pops up here was Mark Zuckerberg finally admitting that, uh, well, let's let's just read the whole quote here. So at the start of COVID, the world rapidly moved online. The surge of e-commerce led to outsized revenue growth. Many people predicted this would be a permanent acceleration that would continue even after the pandemic ended. I did too, so I made the decision to significantly increase our investments. Fortunately, this did not play out the way I expected. Not only has online commerce returned to prior trends, but the macroeconomic downturn, increased competition, ad signal loss have caused their revenue to be much lower than I'd expect. I got this wrong, and I take responsibility for that. This is all part of his statement announcing that they're laying off 13% of Meta's workforce, or close to 11, or more than 11,000 people. Yep, it's got to happen. How much of this do you think is from his trying to make uh, his Metaverse? Um, honestly. I think they're related, but I initially, like my initial reaction is to say like, yes, this is part and parcel to that. But the more that I think about it and dig into it, I'm not exactly positive that my initial reaction is the case. 
And the reason for that is because a lot of it came down to uh, privacy changes by really big companies like Apple. Right, right, right. Like, you know what I mean? And to me, like that is discreet from metaverse in a lot of ways. So Mm -hmm. the way that I look at this is I I feel like there are a couple things that might have coalesced into, you know, like one event, obviously making the jump into the metaverse headfirst is a huge gamble. And obviously that's not necessarily playing out as he would have expected it to. But then you start layering in some of this other stuff like I was just talking about. And, you know, you can kind of see how that's tough, man. Like it's really, really tough. So I think the ad revenue stuff, in my opinion, at least right now, I wouldn't call it like completely decoupled from the metaverse stuff, but I don't actually think the metaverse stuff is really what's hurting meta as of right now. That makes sense. Uh, it seemed like the market reacted positively to this mass layoff, though. When I was looking at Meta, it looked like it was up five bucks a share. Finally broke up back over $100. Yeah. I was kind of surprised to see that because this looks like, to me, like there's a lot more wrong with the company than just an inflated headcount. I think there's a lot of things that people obviously are trying to price in. A lot of it also has to do with the ownership of Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that you have to price that in because if you have a CEO of some sort that is just kind of completely tone deaf and not willing to acknowledge the current landscape in lieu of, you know, this flowery expectation of things, that's really a big problem. Mm-hmm. But as an investor, if you see the CEO of the company and he's actively acknowledging the problems they're facing, to me, that typically means we're positioning ourselves to actually face those problems. And honestly, I think the decision to lay off people, it's not so much the headcount that you know people are reacting to, although it is topical. I think it's more that is a, that's a pretty extreme level of commitment to trying to fix something, is if you're going to lay off 13 to 14% of your workforce in one fell swoop, that's a that's a huge statement beyond just the P&L impact that that has. So I think that's why we're starting to see some of that getting priced in. That's a really interesting way of looking at that. It makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, it's it's a really in, interesting lens that I've developed over time, not to say that it's like super unique to me, but we once we like really acknowledge the fact that the market is a discounting mechanism, we spend much less time thinking about why did X move today? Like what happened today to make X, Y, or Z move? Sometimes there will be a clear catalyst, sometimes not. But a lot of times when we see new information being induced into the markets, we're trying to figure out how to adequately discount that. Mm. And that's really the name of the game. Interesting. Uh, What else do we have to discuss today besides Zuckerberg? Good old Zuck. I actually wanted to ask you something real quick. I've been following tech pretty heavy so far this year just because it's actually been like a incredible short opportunity Mm -hmm. and it's treated me really well. I'm curious if that's something that that you do is any like um, bearish style trades and like broad indices or anything like that. And if so, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the tech sector. Uh, I have not taken very many options trades as of late. I think the last thing I just did was a covered call on uh, British Petroleum. Well, I guess even if you chose to like short stock or something, I, I mostly just mean playing it to the downside. Oh yeah, I will play things to the downside. And um, yeah, with tech is growth, right? Like this is the way I kind of think about it. And growth 
does well with easy money and not so well when uh, the opposite is true. And we're definitely in an environment where money is not easy to come by. Yep. So trying to be long growth right now seems kind of kind of tough. Like I think until we start seeing either those rates start pausing or, or something that starts making things more conducive to getting easy money to be able to expand. Uh, like I, I don't think I'd be trying to take any long positions just yet. Got it. Yeah. I was curious if you were like, have you actively been trading anything to the short side in tech? Uh, no, nothing actively right now. No. Yeah. It's, there's been a lot of really interesting opportunity there, especially within the the index. That's like one of my favorite things to do is to find an individual sector or index that has the bubonic plague like <laughs> the Qs has right now. Right. And to find just the, the most bubonic, Onicest, plaguiest stocks within that sector and fade the daylights out of it. And in uh, in the queues, there's actually a, a handful of things that I've been going back to the well repeatedly, um, just because tech is tech is struggling something wicked right now. So mm, yes, it is. Sm- yeah, small tangent offshoot, but just a general curiosity. I think there was another interesting tech. Style news, though, more in the crypto space, though, um, I'm you and I were talking a little bit about the Binance FTX drama. Oh, yeah, that that was kind of far reaching because that that hit Robin Hood, too. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no love loss for Robin Hood. Yeah, dude, if I don't know if I sounded like I was defending Zuck a little bit back there, I feel indifferent towards him. But like Robin Hood, I vehemently despise. So I'm happy to cast hate. <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify where you know i stand yeah zuckerberg's just fun to hate like there's no yes. real reason behind it you can't not dude yeah like, i saw that one video of him out there doing you know like you could do the the hover water thing whatever the fuck that's called oh yeah yeah and, dude he, he's literally like the five-year-old ginger kid that the parent came over and just slathered with all of the pastiest, <laughs> whitest sunscreen that you can find. They literally have clear sunscreen now, dude. Like, you don't have to literally perpetuate this image of yourself that he can't seem to get away from. But yeah, I agree with you. It is, it's impossible not to just bash him. Because, I mean, he's such a, he's such him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. The, I know exactly what the sunscreen you the, the heavy zinc-based ones that don't yes, rub in. Dude. Yeah. Dude, surfers, <laughs> like, surfers will use it, and it's really good stuff, but surfers that use it are typically out there for hours on, like, a daily basis. You know what I mean? Like, really trying to protect right. against skin cancer. That guy clearly sees the sun once a quarter, so <laughs> I don't necessarily think that needed to happen. Before we dive too much into just hating Zuckerberg, what's the other story that you were starting to bring up there? Yeah, sorry, I derailed myself there. Right? Um, yeah, so we were talking a little bit about a little bit about it before, and I think it's actually really interesting dialogue. So Binance earlier today was going to buy FTX. FTX is a crypto exchange that's kind of struggling in it in and of itself right now. So Binance originally provided a, we would call it like a rescue offer. Essentially, it's just Mm -hmm. something to try to save the company from from going under. And they withdrew the offer as of this afternoon. So I'm reading an article from Wall Street Journal, and it's from 5.01 p.m. Eastern time. So obviously... So that just happened. Like literally just, yeah, yeah, like right before we started. 
Um, it, it was reported before that, obviously, but that's when the article was, yeah, was yeah, yeah. updated. But essentially, right now, um, FTX, they're saying that they were having a hard time covering withdrawals because right now they have a shit ton of withdrawal requests coming through mm-hmm. and they have like an $8 billion shortfall. So, oh, yeah. So imagine like, you know, the bank says like, Hey dog, can you pay your mortgage? And you're like, no dog, I can't. I am missing $8 billion. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening to them right now. They can't pay their people out, which is obviously a huge problem. So Binance was originally talking about going in to um, essentially keep them afloat. But then, you know, that that didn't happen, which is hilarious. And, and while I was uh, while I was looking into just a little bit more because I had the story about Binance um, with the rescue offer. I didn't see the update until you brought it up just a few a uh, little bit ago. But it, the more I look into this, the more it looks like the two the two people like just despise each other almost. <laughs> Love a good drama. <laughs> There's a, a bit in this story that's kind of talking a little bit more about the the Sam Bankman Freed and his his sixteen billion for, dollar fortune, which is going to be a lot less than that now. Uh, it looks like Binance like figured out that he had. Uh, I'm trying to see here what the the numbers were. They figured out that he had uh, about a quarter of his fourteen point six billion dollars tied up in ftt a token issued by ftx yep and then it sounds like once uh once zao figured this out and that's the guy who owns binance he he basically said that his uh exchange would be liquidating their holdings of that and they tanked the value of that token by 80 percent. i know i love it i literally love it that's really good strategy well no i want to cut i gotta gotta follow up on that so now does does Binance's offer and then subsequent withdrawal of that offer, is that all like planned? Like was that was he never wanting to buy this to begin with? And this is all just to fuck with Sam? I wouldn't wouldn't be beyond them, but I also honestly wouldn't be completely shocked if the deal didn't go through. I, I really do think I made a joke about this on Twitter before that I think Zhao might be taking some of Elon Musk's playbook here, mm. you know, and, and again, it's obviously really hard to tell the strategy game that they're playing. You can tell by the decisions that Zhao is making that obviously he's a very strategic thinker because that is literally just fantastic, fantastic competitive movement. And to find that kind of scenario, make that kind of decision to essentially zero out your top competitor is so smart. And they, you know, they blanketed as they liquidated FTT for risk management purposes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part was a quote from Zhao. And he said, we gave support before, but we won't pretend to make love after divorce. We are not <laughs> against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs. Damn. Oh, so there's definitely more going on there. Yeah, there, there's like some legit drama here. That's one of those, you know, checkmate scenarios. I actually really like to see it because you need to see this kind of structural weakness shake out in cryptocurrency before anybody can take it seriously. It's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. Like I was joking with you before about Michael Saylor on like 7 June or July, I think June. Mm -hmm. He was saying, you know, mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like we're still in like this. Uh, When was that? I think it was on 7 June. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope yeah. nobody listened to him. Yeah. or so, I'm sorry. It was 7 July. So it was after that initial big drop. But still, I mean, if you look at the what it would be worth now, if you, again, like heeded that advice where, where it would put you, 
I just bring that up because we're still in like this really hyperbolic stage with cryptocurrencies, right? Like people are mm -hmm. doing everything they can to pitch it. But the problem is, is structurally, it still needs to define its use case. There was a, another joke on Twitter that I was sharing. Um, Michael Saylor was saying that, you know, if it has counterparty risk, then it's not a currency or whatever. And that's, hmm. you know, his, his argument for Bitcoin is at least, you know, amidst many that uh, there's no counterparty risk. And I'm sitting there thinking like, who needs counterparty risk when the fucking asset itself goes down 80% in a year? That sounds pretty risky to me. <laughs> yeah, never. You, you don't even have money to worry about counterparty risk because there's no money there. So, right. so you know, I, I still like Bitcoin. I still like cryptocurrencies to be abundantly clear. I just mm -hmm. think, yeah, we're still in this really, really embryonic emphatic stage where two competitors can essentially have a personal battle and zero in exchange out over it. Like, that's wild. Yeah, that's wild west shit. That's, that's like 1800s railroad giants kind of shit. <laughs> yep, straight up. Very, very interesting to see that movement. Oh, uh, how are we going to top that? I think that that was the last thing I saw, unless there's anything else you want to... You want to hit? No, I, I think that'll do it. That's a good spot to leave it. I think the the last thing we should at least leave it on is the fact that Sam Bankman Freed's whatever the hell his last name is. He had, I think, sixteen billion, and I think that's down by what, like ninety percent or whatever we were talking about before. So we might have to hold yeah. like a candlelight vigil. Yeah, yeah, the poor guy. He's only going to have a few hundred million now or whatever. So it's going to be going to be tough tough life huh Real yeah tough. oh man what's he gonna do ah uh, who, who knows Could be almost, you know, the only problem is he's, he's gonna have to fight the dudes on wall street bets to find the wendy's dumpster that he's gonna go behind now because most of them are taking these days oh my god <laughs> well with that i think that's a good spot to leave this <laughs> Oh, thanks everybody for sticking around to the end. We want to thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, be safe out there. Uh, don't listen to people telling you to mortgage your house to buy anything. Yep. <laughs> and if you want to check out more from Eric, make sure you check out his YouTube channel, uh, ES Invests, or you can follow him on Twitter. We'll have links for that in the episode description. And if you enjoyed us, you know, leave a little rating there. Maybe send us a message. And if you didn't enjoy us, leave a rating anyways. That's good. Just double click the thumbs up. That yeah. works. It's just a small act. <laughs> so, George joke. Ah, but anyway, I'm rambling. I never know how to end these things. I'll just say goodbye. Bye, everybody. LOL. You want to say goodbye? No. No. Okay. All right. You <laughs> say <Take> goodbye. <laughs> Cue the music. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. 
They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.